Scott Colborn with Exploring Unexplained Phenomena. Boy, Jim, I just almost hate to take that off. That is so good. Yeah, it is. That's the band Enigma, their former CD, Cobalt, and that track's called Skydancer. This is Exploring Unexplained Phenomena. We've got a great program for you today. First up is Pet Talk, Dogs and Cats for Adoption from the Capital Humane Society. And then Rosemary Ellen Guiley, the queen of the paranormal. The segment's titled In the Dark with Rosemary. It's a paranormal activities and events update. And our main guest is our good friend Preston Dennett. And he's got a gorgeous front cover on this new book. And uh, the book is Nut From Here, Selected UFO Articles, Volume 3. His sister-in-law, Christine Kassara Dennett, does uh, all the artwork in the, in yeah, the book, Jim. Well, that's pretty nice. And uh, so every chapter has got a... Oh, I wish all of those were in color. Yeah, these are beautiful. Great book. The I front, uh, if you can imagine, Yanni in a superhero spacesuit. Oh, that's a good... That's, that's kind of what it looks like. A blonde by, Yanni. Uh, clouds and mist and uh, interesting. So Preston Dennett, our main guest today, he's our buddy that joins us every first Saturday for an opening segment. We occasionally are lucky enough to have him as a main guest as today. But we've got a lot of, of things going on here. We've got more guests signed up. And I think the phone card situation, we're doing well in that front. Next week's guest is Rasha Oneness, The Meditations, A Journey to the Heart of the Divine Lover. August 11th, Brian Seach. He's the co-founder for the Center for Unexplained Events in Pennsylvania. A great August lineup coming up. We're talking to you from KZUM Radio at 48th and Calvert in southeast mm -hmm. Lincoln, Nebraska. Uh, and coming up... Uh, in September, we've got a KZUM fundraiser where we'll be asking you to, to donate uh, upwards of $1,500 per person. No, $1,500 as a collected as a, as total, a total yeah. <laughs> to uh, help support nonprofit, non-commercial KZUM radio. Although if somebody wants to donate $1,500, that's perfectly okay, too. Now, we... Um, I don't know what the, what the lore is. I think there has been... Um, a thousand dollars done before. Mm -hmm. I'm not sure about two thousand. I know that we've had some five hundreds. Yeah, we in have. Our history. Thank you to all the very generous people out there. Yeah, and uh, it may be sixty dollars a year. It may be eighty nine dollars and thirty cents. Maybe one hundred and twenty. But we'll talk more about that in September uh, during that Saturday morning. Our special guest will be Andrea Perrin, and. Uh, she is a intelligent, fiery. I just very, enjoy very interesting person. Yep, yes. I just enjoy talking to her so much here. Well, let's do some dogs and cats for adoption, let's Jim. Do how about some cats here? Um, it's kind of far away from you, Jim. But do you want to pick one of those cats there? Okay, let's go with 
Well, let's just go for broke here. Let's go kittens, kittens, kittens up in the upper left-hand corner there. Which, as we're waiting for it to load, it's uh, it's all about kittens. Look at that. It says, we have many adorable, playful, and charming kittens in need of forever homes. And uh, there's three of them there. They look like triplets. Uh, beautiful gray and brown tabby markings on a, on a colored uh, soccer blanket, it looks like. And a, a very cute bunch of kittens. <laughs> Some, sometimes cats, when you, like, you catch them, their facial expressions are like, what? I didn't do it. Don't look at me. Hey, it wasn't me. It was this guy over here. Hey. Well, yeah. What? And if you listen to George Carlin, you know that afterwards they go behind the couch and say, freaking meow. Okay. Who are we going to do next, Scott? Chubbs. Chubbs. Let's do, let's do Chubbs. Let's do Chubbs. So Chubbs is a domestic eight-year-old spayed female, and uh, he hisses at children and other cats. So he should meet any children prior to adoption, and uh, maybe, this is my own addition, maybe a good solitary cat situation. Mm -hmm. um, but he's a beautiful cat, and uh, I'd, I like his name. I think Chubbs is cool. Yeah, beautiful tabby with light green eyes. Uh, hey, very, Jim, what are you doing? alert and handsome. Hey, Jim, what are you doing tonight? Oh, just hanging out with Chubbs. Hanging out with Chubbs. Playing, okay. Playing with some catnip and eating some tuna. And we've got uh, three pages, Jim. Do you want to stay on the first page? Yeah, or? Oh, let's go to page two, see what's there. Okay. The, the same fun can be had by you folks, by the way. We're looking at the, the website, KZ, or excuse me, blah, 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 Toy Boat, Toy Boat. It's capitalhumanesociety.org. And pictures are up of all these cats. Jim, who's the, who's the pick? Uh, let's go with Logan. We're on page two. We're going to look We're at on Logan. page two. Logan. Logan, look at him. Uh, what can we say about Logan? He's a two-year-old neutered male, domestic medium hair, very uh, very dark brown, almost black in color, and uh, he, he's got kind of a hippie look to him, don't you think? Mm-hmm. Kind of like, uh, yeah, man, I'm ready. Let's go. Very determined look in his face. I, I, yes, I would say so. Logan's saying, put that cat food down now. <laughs> and make sure that bowl is full. And he's got brown highlights, a beautiful mm -hmm. cat, has some interesting sort of whiskers in the ears. I think that's what I'm picking up there. Okay, mm -hmm. Logan the cat, and we'll pick, uh, we'll pick one more here. Why? Because we're just having so much fun. <laughs> sure. How about Miss Dolly? That sounds like a fun name. Oh, there she is. Sure. Yeah, there she is on the on the red blanket or orange or, or whatever color that is. One year old spade female, domestic short hair, all black, 
So it's just kind of a sweet little kitty sitting there waiting for you to come and get her. The niche writer in the D- Detroit Wheels song, Good Golly Miss Molly. Good, just, good Golly Miss Dolly. There we go. Or Hello Dolly. CapitalHumaneSociety.org. And you can see these pictures of the kittens, Chubbs, Logan, and Miss Dolly. And it's time now for dogs. And I just clicked on cats. So let's go click again. We're on dogs here. And, uh, boy, a bunch of these fun guys here. A bunch of dogs, yeah. whole lot of dogs. Okay, Jack. We've talked about Jack before. Jack, be nimble. When I, when I fade off a microphone, it's because the, the mouse is clear over to the right of the board, so I have to lean over to grab this mouse, and uh, then you hear me kind of do this sort of thing when I kind of go away from the... There we go. Yeah, there you go. Now, if you haven't been down there yet, then you don't know Jack. And Jack would love to know you. He's five years old. He's a neutered male. And he weighs 70 pounds, a great dog. He'd love to go out on those uh, weight loss exercise walks with you. Twice a day, you're, you're looking good. Mac and I have been going out twice a day and uh, enjoying it. So Jack, be nimble. He'd love to see you today. Jack, our first dog for adoption. And uh, Jim, you pick the next one here. Okay, how about for our Shepherd fans out there, Apollo in the uh, upper right corner. Yeah, right there. And Apollo is a five-month-old neutered male German Shepherd. Apollo loves to be the life of the party and is always up for an adventure. How about that? This guy will do best at a home with daily exercise and training. Has a lot of puppy energy and could use manners. So if you want a dog that that you, you can work with, this is the dog for you. Apollo, make your ears stand up. <laughs> Boom. Boom. <laughs> yeah. He is all ears. He just is excited. He's listing. Uh, A-P-O-L-L-O. Apollo. Handsome looking dog. He's waiting for you. Jim, I'll get the third one here if you want to get Rosemary on I'm the line. On it. Jim Shorney, Scott Colborn with our opening segment, Pet Talk. Charlene is uh, on assignment. She'll join us again next week from the Catholic Humane Society, so we're just sort of doing our own pet talk here. And uh, I think then we come back and let's talk about Ryder. Ryder is a seven-year-old neutered male. He's a lab that weighs 101 pounds. Um, He'd love to be active with you. He's a beautiful dog. And you can see his picture at CapitalHumaneSociety.org. So we've talked about dogs and cats for adoption and also on the CapitalHumaneSociety.org website, you'll see uh, a link on how you can uh, donate items. So when you go out to take a look at dogs and cats for adoption, you might want to take things like um, old blankets, old t-shirts, shoe boxes. Cats love those. 
uh, Purina Cat and Puppy Chow, uh, Household Bleach, they use that for cleaning, of course. There's a whole list of things that you could take out uh, and donate some of those items. So thank you so much for your support of the Capital Humane Society. Make them the first place you go when you want to adopt a dog or a cat. I'm Scott Colborn, and you're listening to Exploring Unexplained Phenomena. Next up, we've got Rosemary Ellen Guiley. And uh, I have appointed Rosemary with the powers vested in me as the queen of the paranormal. And uh, as Preston, we occasionally get so lucky to have her as a full-length guest. And in fact, she's coming up August 18th. She's got a co-bill that date with Kevin Paul. Rosemary and Kevin have co-authored Haunted Hills and Hollows, What Lurks in Greene County, Pennsylvania. And with us uh, someplace in the U.S., I believe, on the other end of this phone line is Rosemary Ellen Guiley herself. Hi, Rosemary. Well, good morning, Scott. Uh, I am indeed in Connecticut. I'm just in and out a lot today, uh, catching up on things. My uh, cohort, partner in crime and co-author Michael Bryan, is down in New Jersey having a bang-up event at the MUFON Symposium. He's selling out of our book. It's fabulous. I just saw Michael's post say that he might call for the Calvary, which is you. (laughs) (laughs) Well... Uh, yeah, unfortunately, um, I actually did give some thought to, um, for various reasons, we couldn't do the symposium this year, and I thought sure. the last minute of rearranging some things and blasting down there, but it's a good long haul, and uh, I thought, well, it's it's good to sell out because then you don't have to ship anything home, but the, the uh, response to the Road to Strange, Aliens, UFOs, and High Strangeness has been phenomenal at the symposium. And uh, we're at work on book number three. Fantastic. It is. Uh, both books are in my collection. I enjoy them so much. And uh, you guys have done really well as a collaborative team. Uh, I've often wondered how that works. You've done the same thing with Kevin Paul. We've got you coming up for an August appearance here on the show. Uh, how, do, how does that That's work? That's right. Do you kind of sketch out an outline and say, you take this, I'll take that, or? You know, it's different with every co-author because uh, some of the people I've worked with are are not really writers. They've got the material, Mm -hmm. but they need somebody to put it into shape. And so I take the raw material, add my own, and I do most of the writing. And sometimes it's it's, uh, shared. Um. With um, Michael, for example, mm-hmm. um, he had uh, all of these interviews, and he transcribed the interviews and then did basically a rough draft. And we agreed on the format for the stories, like uh, how we would portray the stories and then do the commentary. And so I did a lot of the formatting, the polishing, and uh, editing to it to, uh, to get the stories all into similar shape. Uh, and uh, with Kevin, he did a lot of the writing uh, for the book. He, um, he's, he's never written a book before, um, but he wound up being a very good writer. And so um, 
mostly I edited the material that, that he supplied, and then I supplied uh, some myself because we both did research for the book. Uh, so, you know, it just varies. And um, uh, it's, it's lucky when it's a happy marriage of uh, material and skills and, you know, you agree on how to approach the material. Um, I've loved working with all my co-authors uh, to date and uh, uh, really looking forward to doing uh, more books with both Kevin and uh, Michael. As a result of the success of, of our initial books, We've received more material. People have come forward with more stories. Oh, very and good. So uh, Kevin and I are often running on book number two, and Michael and I are often running on book number three. Uh, this is Rosemary Ellen Guiley. She joins us every fourth Saturday uh, for In the Dark with Rosemary, our activities and investigations update. And uh, occasionally, as we've talked about, we're lucky enough to get her as a full-length uh, main guest. And she and Kevin Paul are coming up in August, August uh, 18th, as a main guest on the program. Rosemary, as you said, the Mutual UFO Network uh, Symposium is this weekend. Uh, have we gotten enough evidence that we can say at least one UFO is a real structured craft and it's not from Earth. Uh, you know, Scott, I think that evidence has been around since the dawn of the modern UFO era. I think we've had the evidence and it just hasn't been acknowledged to the public. Uh, we've probably been visited uh, by aliens and craft way before that, but mm -hmm. if you put the modern UFO UFO era at post World War II, um, World War II, and, and well, some of it started in World War II, but you know, it really started to kick into high gear after World War II. Um, the evidence has been there, and uh, I think um, um, disclosure continues to happen from the ground up, mm -hmm. uh, not the other way around. So we, uh, those of us that that wait, hoping that we have a Walter Cronkite moment, where somebody comes on the TV like Walter Cronkite and says, yes, they're real. Um, there are reasons why that won't happen. Do you suspect that there is uh, probably a, a pretty vigorous conversation going on right now with those that do hold the secrets about whether to proceed with disclosure and to acknowledge this or to say, hey, we've done a great job for 60 years now, let's just keep things buttoned up and not say anything? <laughs> uh, there's pro probably both views uh, in those camps. But um, um, I, I've been told that uh, there is a new disclosure effort uh, that got underway in a major fashion with uh, Tom DeLong's launch of To the Stars Academy uh, last year. Um, it's it's always been there. I think there's always been managed information and managed disclosure, manipulation of the media, how aliens are portrayed on television and in films and even books. Um, but there is an, a new wave of disclosure, and it's metered out. It's almost like Chinese water torture. It's coming out in such little dribs and drabs that um, it's, 
being uh, monitored to see how it's absorbed by the public. So no big announcements that could cause the proverbial shock and awe, mm -hmm. but just little dribs and drabs of uh, released documents, announcements, uh, you know, things like that. That uh, use of major media, the Boston Globe, the Washington Post, the New York Times, um, so that the impact is gradual. And uh, I think that that is underway. Um, one of the things that I learned recently, and I, I put this up, I have a little column on onsteller.com called the UFO Underground. And uh, I did a, a column on this, um, I think it was back in May, uh, about a genetic program, a DNA engineering program that's been going on for some time uh, run by the government that is they've isolated DNA uh, that shows a proclivity toward uh, enhanced more than average psychic ability and likelihood of uh, alien contact and the two seem to go hand in hand uh, and that they are uh, working with volunteers to see how this uh, genetic material can be further isolated and manipulated and literally used as a way of breeding people who have more of a tendency to be psychic and uh, able to have alien contact. Uh, and if you, if you look at the history of contactees, um, the people who've had the most dramatic experiences or the, or the frequent abductions or frequent contact experiences, there is usually some sort of um, psychic factor in the background, um, ex experiences since childhood, multiple members of their family having some pronounced psychic ability. We all have it to a certain degree, but some people have more than others. Mm -hmm. And so this is now going on, and for what purpose? Uh, why why are we breeding, uh, why does the government want to breed this into people? Uh, is it uh, for a weaponizing purpose or for um, some sort of enhanced alien contact? Um, nobody really knows, but uh, it's highly compartmentalized. That is, uh, various components of this program don't know what the other compartments are doing. Uh, and uh, that's how some of the secrecy has been protected on it. Last Saturday night, um, I had the honor and, and good fortune of being filmed along with uh, my friend and colleague Ray Boucher uh, for an upcoming film uh, titled Capel Green, which is about the events of December 1980 in England, the Rendlesham Forest uh, events, RAF Bentwaters, RAF Woodbridge, and so in preparation for that, I got out um, Ray's working notes, which run in excess of 370 pages. And looking through that again, I was just struck by what these guys were describing. You know, Rosemary, it always comes down to the eyewitnesses. If we just listen to what they're talking about to the best of their ability with their language and, and their, their uh, background, their schooling, their their knowledge base, uh, they are describing craft that are not from here. And in some cases, like mm -hmm. these guys at uh, 
at Bentwaters and Woodbridge, they were describing craft that were 15 feet away. <laughs> That's pretty close. That is. Uh-huh. You know, pick up a pine cone and, and hit the side of the thing if you wanted to. Um, well, it, it's true that uh, the real evidence does come from the eyewitnesses. And, of mm-hmm. course, as we know, um, there's usually an immediate backlash against the eyewitnesses from all quarters. Um, and people want to say they want to know, but then they really don't want to know. And then, of course, the media jumps on them and various other people in official capacities um, uh, denigrate and denounce. Uh, I think one of the reasons why uh, the book that Michael and I did, um, The Road to Strange, Aliens, uh, UFOs, Aliens, and High Strangeness, uh, was so popular, and it did hit uh, some category bestseller lists, uh, was because it was a collection of so many people with so many compelling experiences. Mm -hmm. It wasn't just one person's book Mm -hmm. about their story, and as compelling as those are. These were dozens of people. Dozens of people have incredible experiences, and that's really a powerful testimony. Yeah, and it, it makes you say that, that there is indeed a, a more than a kernel of truth there. Something's got to be going on. And um, I also think about the other side of the equation, Rosemary, as I'm sure that you and Michael have also thought about. Uh, this whole paradigm involves another player, and that's the quote-unquote UFO, the intelligence behind that as well. Um, It's one thing for us to say, gosh, I wish we could have full-blown disclosure and, you know, the, as I call it, the Walter Cronkite moment uh, and admittance that UFOs are real. But there's that other side of that paradigm, too. The, the, The intelligence behind the UFO controls a lot about what we might know, what we might see, uh, they're also in charge of disclosure, aren't they? Well, they are. And so many of the eyewitnesses that um, uh, both Michael and I have interviewed and that we also featured in the book, uh, they often comment on the intelligence that they know is behind the phenomenon, that something highly intelligent uh, has targeted them or chose them, Everything is purposeful. It's not just random. And we don't know what all the agendas are going on. Um, one, of, one of the uh, articles done by a psychic medium, Carl Petri, um, he said that uh, his impression was that we, can, we can't hide from them. There's nowhere we can hide. If they want to find us, um, person A, person B, um, they can do that. They can zero in on us. And uh, it's like there's nowhere, nothing that could shield us from their discovery of us. So um, with some people, that's kind of a scary thought that, um, and the abductees certainly talk about this, feeling very powerless, that um, when, they, when they want to come for you, they will come for you. And, and what are you going to do about it? Well, it's the same way with contact in general, that... Um, do do the aliens respond to perhaps people on a certain wavelength, maybe with this extra psychic factor in their energy field that's genetic within them? Can they detect that? And do they zero in on these people because uh, they know these people have perhaps a greater opportunity to perceive them or interact with them? 
um, there's probably a lot of intelligent choosing going on. These are not mm-hmm. random occurrences. Rosemary, we'll close with um, salutations to you and Michael. And should he be listening this morning, Michael, stop making those faces at me. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's okay. Go ahead. Rosemary, it's always a pleasure to talk to you, and thank you for all that you do. Um, I enjoy our conversations, however short they are. And I'm looking forward to talking with you on August 18th, you and Kevin Paul. Well, same here, Scott, and you have a great weekend. Thank you so much. Always a pleasure to be on with you. And congratulations to you and Joe on an anniversary. That's right. We had our fifth wedding anniversary on Monday. Fantastic. Um, went out to dinner wow. and uh, just had a, a really nice evening. Congratulations. Thank you. Rose Mariel and Guy she joins us every fourth Saturday in the dark with Rosemary, and she is indeed the queen of the paranormal. Um, looking forward to that August 18th conversation with she and Kevin Paul. Uh, Rosemary's website is visionaryliving.com. You can also jump over to visionarylivingpublishing.com. Rosemary on Guiley, and uh, always a treat. You bet. I'll do the bottom of the hour break, and let's come back with another friend of ours, Preston Dennett. All righty then. I'm Scott Colborn with Jim Shorney, and uh, we're going to say hello and wave at Colleen. She's out there listening. And also I'd like to say hello to my friend Tanner from Kansas, who's on the road today in Lancaster County, Nebraska. And uh, he's working parks on the air uh, operating amateur radio from some of the parks in Lancaster County today, which is a lot of fun. So, hi Tanner, be safe out there, and uh, we'll look for you on the air after I get off. She captures your eye with a predatory stare, and you go willingly forward into a spider's lair. She's been spinning on. Hi, dudes and dudettes. It's Carol Griswold from Women's Blues and Boogie on your community radio station. FM, KZUM Lincoln, and KZUM HD. Support for KZUM comes from the Nebraska Recycling Council, helping to protect the natural environment and extend the life of our landfill, reminding Lincoln and Lancaster County that corrugated cardboard will not be accepted at the landfill. For more on recycling services and area drop-off sites, nrcne.org or 402-436-2384. And... The 2018 Nebraska Folk and Roots Festival, August 24th and 25th at River West Park in Elkhorn, Nebraska. With special guests, Peter Case, Becca Mancari, Evan Bartles and the Stony Lonesomes, the Wildwoods, and many others. Plus camping, tubing, and family fun. Tickets for this party on the river at NebraskaFolkAndRoots.com. This program is made possible in part by a grant from the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. That's why if you please, I am on KZUM's Jerry Garcia Birthday Bash returns for its 12th year on Saturday, July 28th at 8 p.m. at Bodega's Alley with a night full of the music of Jerry Garcia and the Grateful Dead by the Jerry Pranksters, plus an opening set by Peach Truck celebrating the music of the Allman Brothers Band. 
win raffle prizes, celebrate the life and music of Jerry Garcia, and support KZUM, your home for the Grateful Dead and so much more for 40 years. That's the Jerry Garcia Birthday Bash, a KZUM benefit, on Saturday, July 28th at 8 p.m. at Bodega's Alley. Find out more at kzum.org. Support for KZUM comes from the Nebraska Folk and Roots Festival, presenting Honky Tonk Hoedown, a Nebraska Folk and Roots pre-party on Saturday, August 11th from 7 to 11 p.m. at the Playmore Ballroom, featuring the Hangin' Cowboys, Clarence Tilton, and the Bottle Tops. Tickets and more at nebraskafolkandroots.com. My name is Manny Morales. I'm 45 and I coach youth football. It's still hard to believe because the high school me was a work in progress. But big brothers, big sisters give me a real role model. And the young me needed a role model bad. My bigger brother's name is Ray. And Ray is the reason that this seven-year-old grows up to be a role model himself. Whether you donate money or time, you're helping Big Brothers Big Sisters help a child. Start something today at BigBrothersBigSisters.org. Brought to you by Big Brothers Big Sisters and the Ad Council. The full moon lights the silver rails winding around dark mountains and over steep gorges of jagged rock in one freezing cold rushing black mountain river. I wish there was enough time to describe all of the funny twists and turns that led up to now, but there isn't enough time because there's a ticking clock and the two passengers we care most about don't know anything about it. To see what happens next, visit read.gov to read The Exquisite Corpse, a riveting adventure pieced together by John Sheska, Shannon Hale, Daniel Handler, and other popular authors. Explore new worlds. Read. Brought to you by the Library of Congress and the Ad Council. Far from the din of commercial culture and just this side of the abstract is a place I call Mesoterra. I'm Vic Valverde, your tour guide for an eclectic musical excursion on a program called Mesoterra. Saturdays, 12 noon until 1.30, right here on KZUM. Scott Colborn with Jim Shorty. We are exploring unexplained phenomena. And it's great to have you with us, whether you're at the workplace or just kicking around home. Our good friend Preston Dennett is on tap today. And Preston makes his home on the West Coast, he's an accountant by day and a UFO researcher and author by night. He began researching UFOs in 1986, and uh, he heard about a dramatic sighting by a pilot flying over Alaska. He began asking family and friends what they thought about this and discovered, lo and behold, that his brother and his two friends had seen a structured UFO, which they chased for miles across California. His sister-in-law told him that she and her two friends observed a UFO over Van Nuys uh, Air Reserve Base. She also had a later face-to-face encounter with two ETs. Another sister-in-law revealed her own childhood encounters with short humanoids in California. A friend revealed that he and his girlfriend had a scary close-up encounter with a triangular formation of lights while parked along Mulholland Highway in Topanga Canyon. And yet another friend in Topanga Canyon, who is a pilot and scuba diver, described how she and her friend saw an egg-like object fly over their home. 
So given that, and given the fact that Preston is a very intelligent guy, he began to be more than curious. He jumped into things. And what he found has been his passion ever since. Uh, he's written over 20 books. He's written over 100 articles about UFOs and the paranormal. And he's in, uh, included as a guest on the Art Bell Show, Midnight in the Desert, Coast to Coast, and of course, Exploring Unexplained Phenomena. So I'm holding in my hand this gorgeous new book. His sister-in-law, Christine Kassara Dennett, did all the artwork, and it's called Nut From Here, Selected UFO Articles, Volume 3. Welcome to the broadcast, our good friend and colleague, Preston Dennett. How are you, Preston? Uh, doing great. Keeping busy. You know, having fun. There isn't probably a, a week that goes by that you don't get somebody that says, you're going to think this is really crazy, but... <laughs> and they tell you a story. Yeah, I mean, who would have thunk? I mean, I just never thought that this was going to be the way things turned out for me. But, uh... Can't complain. I love it. The world is a lot stranger than I ever imagined, and uh, I'm continuing to learn more every day. Yeah, mm -hmm. amazing. You know, here's a great opening question for you, Preston, because of what you just said, and my my introduction to you uh, being considered. If you had it to do all over again, and you had two choices to go through two different doorways, uh, would you still? exhibit and delve into the, the subject matter uh, and to be curious, or would you say, uh-uh, I'm going to do something different? <laughs> it's kind of a trick question because you just don't know what you're getting into, but yeah, you know, I would have, I, I can't say that I would not have done this. It's just too amazing. Mm -hmm. um, I would have probably given myself a few warnings about what I'm going to be going through uh, here in the future, but uh, mm -hmm. yeah, I mean, this is, I, I wouldn't change a thing, no. I my, love it. My buddy Jim Shorney is here with us. Mm-hmm. And Jim is an intelligent guy. I like to think so. Uh, I've always argued, Preston, that people that have a, uh, a degree of intelligence, if they look at the subject matter, they have to say there's something going on. Mm-hmm. Exactly. I mean, you've got to be objective about it. You've got to put aside your preconceived beliefs. Um, I was very skeptical of all this stuff, and it was really hard for me because I just assumed UFOs were not real. Right. And I had my reasons. I mean, the stars are too far away, for one thing. The subject's not taken seriously in you know, mainstream society to a large extent, mm -hmm. certainly back then. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, the evidence is out there in the public arena. It really is. You know, we have this little backwater planet in the solar system, Earth, and we look out and see those billions of stars and think, you know, why would anybody want to come here? We can raise all those questions, but gosh, when we start digging into it, we find out they have been coming here for a long time. Yeah. It's in our historical records. It's in our artwork. Uh, it's in personal accounts handed down from generation to generation, they're also undeniable 
bits of evidence. There are archived documents from uh, the military, from law enforcement, doctors, lawyers, Indian chiefs, that all attest to the reality of this. And now you've got, oh, yeah. you've got a collection of stories that you've authored over the years, and you've put together Volume 3, uh, Nut From Here. So just that title suggests that we're dealing with an intelligence that is from elsewhere. Yeah, I think so. I mean, it's entirely possible that they have been here longer than we have. Um, I think that's actually probably the case. Uh, but I think the best explanation we have of what we're dealing with is extraterrestrials, presumably from other planets and other star systems, and uh, visiting our planet in large numbers, actually. We could also take that, that title, Nut From Here, and we could say, you know, everybody has a consensus reality and that this is beyond that. It's not from this reality, not from here. It's from a different place. And that kind of goes back to my original question to you that uh, I regard you as being very intelligent, Preston. I, I would imagine that given the choice, that intelligence would spur you on to, to want to know more about this, to want to know the truth. It would be hard, I think, for a guy like you to, to have a, a little bit of information and then to say, yep, not going to look there, not interested, nope. <laughs> hey, well, yeah, I appreciate that. Um, ignorance is not bliss, I don't think. Mm -mm. I, I want to know. I want to know if there's life after death. I want to know if Bigfoot's real. I want to know what's flying around in our skies. You know, what's out beyond in other solar systems? What are governments hiding? And uh, all of this is doable. I mean, we can find this out. How did you go about arranging the chapters for this book, Not From Here, Selected UFO Articles, Volume 3? How did those get arranged? Um, I kind of did it like I did with the previous books. I didn't want to be repetitive, so I tried to pick sort of a wide variety of subjects, and uh, I wanted to pick, you know, cases that I think were more of the, uh, I guess, weirder or unusual or the outlying type of cases that sort of defy the standard model. I've just almost uh, sprayed my coffee <laughs> because there are <laughs> two chapters that come to my mind that... Uh, there, there's a couple titles that really grab you, I'll, I'll have to say that. Yeah, it's, this is not your standard book about, you know, abductions by graves or just simple sightings by any means. Um, we're going deep right into the heart of the phenomena here, mm -hmm. the real controversies, to try and figure out, because it's weird, this phenomena has levels and just, it's got so much complexity and breadth to it that it's hard to get a handle on. It's hard to wrap your head around mm -hmm. uh, to figure out what's really going on here. And you're not going to solve any mysteries by sort of ignoring cases that mm -hmm. don't fit into what you think this should be like. So, yeah, I just threw all my misconceptions aside and delved into the most controversial cases and, you know, let the chips fall where they may. I'm not married to the extraterrestrial hypothesis. I still think it's the best one. But, yeah, we're not going to solve any mysteries if you already think you know what's going on. Yeah, it, in fact... There could be a multitude of places where they, plural, originate from. 
they, they may be right here on earth, uh, existing either in the same reality base that we're in. We just haven't noticed them because their technology is so far beyond ours. They have a secret base someplace. Maybe they exist on a different frequency and they're able to, to modulate uh, almost like a Star Trekian beam of sorts that they can come into our density, our vibratory plane, and then leave that at will. Um, right. Well, they've said as much in several cases. I mean, they could be interdimensional. Um, in some cases, they yes. appear to be time travelers. I mean, we don't know for sure. Uh, so it's, yeah, really hard to get a handle on exactly what's going on here. Um, it's easy to march out in a bunch of cases to support one theory or another. But again, how is that going to, mm-hmm. you know, answer any questions? Yeah, it's it's really, it's okay. bogus science to say because we can't pin it down, therefore it isn't happening. That's that's bogus. <laughs> science doesn't work that way. We look at all these possibilities, all these different theories, and I know Jim is interested in ghosts as one of his passions. Mm-hmm. Well, there is a connection with UFOs and ghosts. Sure. Absolutely. With Bigfoot, there's all these weird connections, near-death experiences, out-of-body experiences, psychic phenomena. Um, There's definitely connections uh, to all these areas with UFOs, uh, which is fascinating to me because UFOs on the surface, I mean, it looks like, okay, we're dealing with aliens and metallic ships coming from other planets, conducting surveys, but it's not just that. They seem to have a really strong interest in all things human. Um, They seem to be related to us in some way. Um, The humanoid form is pretty much universal. That raises a lot of questions. So, yeah, I mean, it's just ripe for research. We really are just beginning here. Well, and there there are schools of thought and religious beliefs and whatnot that say everything is connected anyway. So that would just be natural. One, I've, mm-hmm. I've heard that. You know, I'm not sure we're dealing with one single phenomena, which you know some researchers have said that. Oh yeah, this is a phenomena that wears different masks, and whether you're seeing a Bigfoot, a ghost, or a UFO, there's there's an intelligence behind this phenomena, and it's manifesting according to your cultural beliefs and so on. I don't know. I mean, there's some evidence to speak towards that, but I'm convinced that we're dealing with separate phenomena that are re- interrelated, interconnected, and uh, influencing each other. Well, and it could just be that they're outer space teenagers out on a joyride and messing with the locals, too. <laughs> yeah, Douglas Adams. Yeah. That yeah. was his theory. Douglas Adams, yes. Uh, Hitchhiker's the, Guide the to the Galaxy. Hitch- and... Hitchhiker's Guide series, absolutely. Uh, Preston, give us an example of your opening chapter, Caught in the Act. Yeah, this is something that I looked into quite some time ago. You know, these are all articles that I've written over the years, but I've updated each one to get current cases and more information. And Caught in the Act focuses on cases of abduction or contact where people are taken on board, and it is observed by outside witnesses. And this fascinates me because here we have a situation where it looks like we have thousands, perhaps 
millions of people experiencing onboard encounters. A lot of them. I mean, Jay Allen Hynek said it could be as high as 1 in 40. The Roper survey, the Roper poll, found about 1 in 50. I think most of the major researchers agree onboard experiences are a lot more common than people realize. And yet, there's, I mean, thousands and thousands of these cases, where are the witnesses? I mean, how come nobody is seeing the ETs abduct people? It almost never happens. But you know what? It does. It does happen. And there is a good dozen or more cases where people have observed other people being abducted. Mm-hmm. And a good example is what, I mean, the first case I put in the book occurred on August 16th, or August 2nd, sorry, 1962, to a man by the name of uh, Rivalino da Silva. This is in Brazil. He's a farmer. He has, you know, children. And one day he, they went outside and this UFO had landed by their house. He walks up to it and is enveloped in this kind of mist and light. And next thing, uh, the, the kids are watching this. His, his children are watching him go up to this object and it takes him in full view of them. And takes off and he's gone and the kids are left and they're like what just happened they of course went to the police there was a huge investigation um they were accused of perhaps murdering their father they denied it of course and the investigation revealed that this man rivalino had actually seen a landed ufo about a week prior to this so that and there was other sightings in the area which of course strengthened but the kids were saying happened. So here we have a situation where someone was abducted in full view of their family and never returned. And this was something I, I noticed in observed abductions. And normally, or at least we assume normally when someone is taken on board, they're returned. I'm going to say in about a quarter or a half of the observed abduction cases, the people are not returned. Hmm. I mean, there's another case December 24th, 1890, perhaps one of the earliest abductions on record, uh, this uh, teenager went out to fetch water from the well, and uh, everyone in the house heard him screaming, it's taking me, it's got me, it's got me. They ran outside and could not see him at nighttime, but they see his footprints in the snow leading right up halfway to the well, and it stops right there. They never found this guy again, Oliver Lurch. Something took him, and they didn't see it, but gosh, they almost did. They yes. heard him, his voice got fainter and fainter and fainter, going upwards. So whatever took him came from above. There, there was, I don't know. Years ago, there was a, I believe the source was Bud Hopkins, but there was a photograph being circulated um, of a outdoor... A gathering. It may have been, my memory's hazy, but it may have been a, a camp out. It may have been a, an outdoor cookout during which there is an abduction. And the person being abducted has got a camera. And as they're being taken up, they have the presence of mind to click a picture with their camera. And so what you're looking down at is... Uh, a picnic table on the ground from maybe 15, 20 feet up in the air. And the way the shutter 
has opened is that there's almost a kind of a kaleidoscope of light on the periphery of that as if somebody's slowly spinning or turning. Uh, and as again, to my memory, they went back and tried to figure out if this were hoaxed, how somebody would have been able to be 15 feet over that picnic table and slowly rotating or spinning. And they couldn't come up with a plausible explanation of how that could have happened. So sometimes these observed uh, abductions, they have happened. I know you've got a, a bunch of stories in there. Let's talk about one more maybe when, when you come back. Um, I know I've got a favorite in that chapter, but I'm going to have you pick it because you're the guy that wrote it. <laughs> <laughs> okay, we'll take the top of the hour break. Uh, in case people want to read more about this, Preston's got a really good description of the book on his website. It's PrestonDennett.Weebly.com. If that's too much, just type in Preston Dennett. Bingo. And I don't know how you do this, but you just pop right up in any search engine I've used. And uh, go to his books page, and uh, the beautiful front cover is right there. Nut from here. Selected UFO Articles, Volume 3, and you can read more about this as he and I and Jim talk about this. We'll take a short break with the band Enigma. We'll be right back with more with Preston Dennett. I'm Scott Colborn with Jim Shorney. No donuts this morning, but... But we're just muddling through as best we can. The fellowship is good, the coffee's good. Yep. Support for KZUM comes from family-owned and operated Butheris Mason Love Funeral Home at 40th and A Streets in Lincoln, offering services that allow families to plan ahead according to personal wishes, chapel facilities to accommodate all faiths, and grief support materials for the family following a service. More information is available at 402-488-0934 and online at bmlfh.com. And... From the 2018 Nebraska Folk and Roots Festival, August 24th and 25th at River West Park in Elkhorn, Nebraska. With special guests, Grand Ole Opry stars Rob Ikes and Trey Hensley, Handmade Moments, Jack Hotel, Matt Cox, and many others. Plus camping, tubing, and family fun. Tickets for this party on the river at NebraskaFolkandRoots.com. And Roca Tavern, presenting its annual Roca Hoedown outdoors on Friday, July 27th, starting at 4 p.m. Featuring Sean Cole and Drunk Monkey, Malpractice and Lloyd McCarter, and the Honky Tonk Revival. Plus a special screening of the film Dakota. More at rocatavern.com. My name is Manny Morales. I'm 45 and I coach youth football. It's still hard to believe because the high school me was a work in progress. But big brothers, big sisters give me a real role model. And the young me needed a role model bad. My bigger brother's name is Ray, and Ray is the reason that this seven-year-old grows up to be a role model himself. Whether you donate money or time, you're helping Big Brothers Big Sisters help a child. Start something today at BigBrothersBigSisters.org. Brought to you by Big Brothers Big Sisters and the Ad Council. Far from the din of commercial culture and just this side of the abstract is a place I call Mesoterra. I'm Vic Valverde, your tour guide for an eclectic musical excursion on a program called Mesoterra. Saturdays, 12 noon until 1.30, right here on KZUM.
Scott Colborn with Jim Shorty. We are exploring unexplained phenomena. Our special guest is Preston Dennett, and we've asked Preston to pick a story from the first chapter, Caught in the Act. This is from his brand new book, Nut From Here, Selected UFO Articles, Volume 3. Do you have a favorite from that chapter, Preston? I, I've got a couple at least, um, but one that really intrigues me occurred in Leeds, England, to a man by the name of Martin Cohen, who was jogging through the park one evening. This was in June 30th, 1988. And uh, next thing he knows, he's being sucked up a beam of light and into a UFO and doesn't really remember what happened on board. Next thing he knows, he's being set back down, and it's the next morning, and he's waking up. But what's really interesting is there were numerous witnesses who not only saw him being pulled up into the light, but others who saw him hours later, mind you, coming back down and put in pretty much the same place. So it's one thing to see someone, you know, being put back or lifted up, or but to have multiple witnesses see both him being taken and returned. I mean, I don't think there's another case out there like that. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, how, how do you answer something like that? I mean, uh, like another case, Diliberto Cardenas of Hiley, Florida. January 3rd, 1979, Diliberto's driving with his wife and two friends, and suddenly they pull over because the car stalls. The car engine is not working. They pull over, they're lift the hood, they're inspecting the engine, when suddenly this UFO drops down out of the sky, and Giliberto's pulled up right into it, right in full view of the three other witnesses. He's screaming, they're all screaming. <laughs> they ended up rushing to the police and telling them what happened, and later, you know, a couple of hours later, they found Giliberto's some miles away, mind you, not in the same location. Um, he's completely disoriented, has all the markers of having just been abducted. And the police had no other explanation, and they actually filed it in their police report as a UFO abduction. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, there's great cases uh, of observed abductions, but you know, it just doesn't happen a lot. A very famous case would be the Travis Walton case, where I believe it was 1975 in Snowflake, Arizona, Got a bunch of guys out on a logging detail, and they're driving back down, and they see a UFO. Travis gets out and approaches this thing, and uh, then there is a discharge, and a beam hits him, knocks him down. His buddies are freaking out, and they drive the truck away, leaving Travis there. And then a couple miles down the road, they have second thoughts. We better go back for Travis. Now we can't leave him there. And they go, they go back, and he's gone. And he's gone for, I, was it four or five days? He's gone for a number of days. And then he calls a family member from a phone booth and says, come get me, I'm back. And he's got a growth of beard on his face. The police, meanwhile, have thought that these uh, co-workers had killed him and were conspiring to cover up the the, the murder. And it gets stranger. Uh, We know now from uh, several sources that the 
UFO debunker Phil Klass then tried to offer one of these guys 10000 bucks to say that Travis was lying and that it was all a hoax. Right. 10000 in 1975 is a lot more than it is today, too. Yes. Um, yeah, it's a great case. Um, what's really interesting is one of the people um, in that crew of woodcutters, um, right after they left Travis there, um, he turned back and saw the UFO rise up out of the trees and take off. He shouted out, but look, but none of the other witnesses saw it. And also not as well known as there was a lady who was driving along the highway um, at the time Travis was returned and saw this UFO come barreling down out of the sky and land in the, in the area where Travis was found. Or not, didn't see it land, actually, but saw it going towards that area. Mm-hmm. So um, there are definitely people who are observing um, these abductions. I think there's probably a lot more cases than you know I've listed here. But who are you going to tell? It's hard enough to believe this stuff, and people who aren't familiar with this phenomenon don't know about MUFON or the National UFO Reporting Center. And they may call the police, but the police aren't really equipped to handle this either. So I'm guessing there's a lot more cases of observed abductions. Mm-hmm. This is Preston Dennett. His website is PrestonDennett.Weebly.com. And the brand new book that we're talking about this morning is Nut From Here, Selected UFO Articles, Volume 3. Uh, that Volume 3 is a clue that if this sounds interesting, there's two earlier volumes that you can check out as well, Volume 1 and Volume 2. Uh, see a UFO, lose your job. Sometimes there's a, there's a situation that develops that if you tell the wrong people that you've seen a UFO, something may happen to your, your livelihood. Yeah, absolutely. It's a travesty and occurs a lot more often, I think, than people realize. Um, and it, I don't think it really matters what kind of job you have, whether you're I mean, tapping to airline pilots, uh, police officers, uh, you name it. It's happened to a number of people, accountants, uh, happened to John Mack, the author of Abduction. Oh, yes. Mm-hmm. Who's, you know, mind you, a Pulitzer Prize-winning author and a doctor. So, uh, and he didn't actually even see a UFO. He's just started studying this subject, mm-hmm. um, abductions in particular. And this caused his uh, cohorts, you know, his uh, fellow academics to really get up in a tizzy about it and uh, ended up having an academic review and uh, of his work and they tried to basically bash him he fought back thank god and uh, was able to keep his job but not everyone has been so lucky i mean look what happened to uh alan godfrey a police officer in uh, england it's a typical case of what can happen here seeing mm-hmm. a ufo has its own you know trauma to go with it but sometimes it's what happens afterwards that's much worse and this is what happened to alan godfrey he sees this ufo it's pouring rain and where this ufo had hovered it's perfectly dry he showed this to his fellow officers there was a lot of details that supported his story and there were other witnesses in the area also calling the police uh 
turned out Godfrey was actually abducted. He didn't realize it at the time. He thought he, I mean, he didn't even realize he had missing time. Later, this all came out. But uh, he went public with his account, and this caused a lot of friction with among his fellow officers who teased him mercilessly. And when more sightings came in, well, the ridicule died down for a little bit, but it also served to sort of make his encounter more famous. And this did not please his bosses, his superiors, who really began to put pressure on him and uh, actually requested that he resigned at, at one point. Uh, Godfrey refused. And so what did they do? They took away his police car and gave him a bicycle. Now, that's so humiliating for you know an officer who's made it his career to do this, has worked there for years, has numerous awards for his investigations. It makes no sense. It's a clear case of prejudice. And at some point, Godfrey just couldn't take it anymore. Everything he loved about being a police officer was gone. So he gave in to the pressures and just quit. It's a travesty. And there's a number of cases just like that. Yeah, Frank Edwards was a well-known author back in the 40s and early 50s. And he was very interested in the UFO phenomenon. And it was alleged by several sources that the reason why he lost his job for this really popular radio program that he did was that uh, the uh, government and or military went to one of the big advertisers, GE, and said, uh, you know, we'd like to uh, continue giving work to a number of GE plants and keep all those guys and gals employed. But, you know, we could easily switch this bid and switch this to somebody else. We just need a little bit of help with this rabble-rouser guy, this Frank Edwards. We don't like what he's saying. And they put pressure on the advertiser. The advertiser pulled the plug. And uh, Edwards then lost his job. It's terrible. I mean, you know, uh, what I've noticed is police officers are particularly vulnerable. Mm-hmm. I think the reason for that is because they're the ones who are out there. They're the watchers you know, of our planet. It's their job to look for things that are unusual for any type of invaders for pretty much exactly situations like this. Mm-hmm. And it's so ironic because here it's their job to look for unusual events. They report it and they suffer because of it. There's numerous cases of officers being denied promotions, um, or being forced to resign. I mean, a typical example, April 17th, 1966, officers Dale Spar, Spar and William Ness of Portage County, Ohio, saw a UFO and chased this thing all the way across Ohio into another state um, for hundreds of miles. Several other officers chased it. Um, it was photographed. A lot of people saw this thing. And what happens? They get ridiculed mercilessly to the point where they both had to uh, quit their jobs. Uh, it's just, I mean, it's terrible and it's so ironic that this should happen to you know police officers when it's their job to do this sort of thing. Uh, Patrolman Herb Shermer from Asheville, Nebraska, had his uh, encounter in December 1967 
later on, uh, he became uh, chief of police and then resigned because of the pressure and the ridicule factor. Jim, have you, have you ever experienced that in your, your occupation? Of people found out that you were interested, for example, in, in ghosts. Did you ever get, like, bugged or ribbed by people? Oh, a little bit. Uh, it's a, most of my coworkers are, are pretty tolerant and... Uh, pretty open-minded. Open-minded, yeah. Uh, they, they tease you a little bit, but uh, I, I've also got the same thing that you mentioned earlier. Somebody will come up to me privately and the words, you're going to think I'm crazy, but... <laughs> Boy, if I had a nickel for every time I heard yeah. that. <laughs> right? And, yeah, you know, I've been very vocal where I work, you know, in this medical billing company, and have had, gosh, a half dozen bosses over the years, and not one of them has complained about it. Some have been more forthcoming and, you know, friendly about it than others. Uh, but by and large, mm-hmm. none of them have given me any flack. I've had some ridicule from coworkers, but, you know, friendly ridicule, mm-hmm. I would say. One of the, one of the things that, that, that I should make known right now uh, is that I'm really proud of our radio station, KZUM, that, Preston, as you know, I've done this program now for over 33 years. It's the world's longest-running uh, paranormal talk radio program. Never once has anybody from KZUM management board of directors ever tried to say, you can't talk to him, you can't interview, you can't do that subject. I've never had anything but just full-blown support from KZWIM. Mm-hmm. And so I need to remember that and remind folks uh, in September when we have that fundraiser that this is a pretty big deal. We've had the solid support. And uh, back in 1984, this was a risky program. <laughs> there weren't a lot of programs like this back then. No, it's, it wasn't this before Art Bell. Oh, yeah. 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 So, wow, yeah. okay, um, alien gifts. I thought that was interesting because I had read uh, about, uh, oh, gosh, Raymond Fowler, uh, Betty Andreessen, there we go. I remember your story in there triggered again, having read that account uh, of what she was given. What? Tell us, in a nutshell, what, what is Alien Gifts? Uh, it's probably my favorite chapter in the book. Um, alien Gifts are accounts in which people have been given actual alien artifacts by the ETs. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's a couple of cases where people have been taken on board and they tried to steal something um, from a UFO. Mm-hmm. Um, that happened to uh, Antonio Villas Boas, the first recorded abduction. He saw this sort of clock-like object, a little square thing, tried to take it. One of the ETs caught him, ran up to him and pushed him over, grabbed it back, and kicked him off the UFO shortly later. Um, a couple of cases like that where people have tried to lift something from a UFO and were not successful. But there's a good dozen cases or so which people were asked for a gift and actually given something. Uh, various types of objects, too. Uh, in Be- Betty Andreessen's case, it was this blue, this thin blue book, which she kept at home for a period of weeks, actually, mm-hmm. and observed multiple times. 
And this was the account that actually inspired this study, inspired me to do this study of other accounts because I knew that uh, Betty Hill had had a very similar experience. Betty and Barney Hill, of course, were abducted in New Hampshire in 1961. 1961. Mm-hmm. Yeah, another real early case. And they're you know, going through this whole abduction experience. She's talking to the leader. She's like, could you please give me some proof? You know, I'd love to get some proof so I could prove to people that this actually happened to me. He's like, sure. Look around. Do you see anything? What do you want? And she saw this book-like thing. And, and she grabbed it. She says, I'd love this. And he's like, oh, all right, you can have that. And she's literally walking down the ramp when suddenly the other people on board the UFO, the ETs, start discussing back and forth, and yeah, they took it back. I just have to interject. I can just almost imagine that. You know, you know do we really want to get, uh, we, better, we better grab that now. Somebody, somebody go down there and grab that now. You shouldn't have given that to her. Man, you're in the doghouse. <laughs> She was furious. She's mm-hmm. like, how dare you? You gave this to me. This is mine. You know, this is my proof. And he's like, well, that's exactly the point. You know, we don't want to give you proof. Mm-hmm. Um, we don't want you to remember this. And they had this big, long argument about whether or not she would remember. She's insisted she's going to remember. Um, yeah, she was not happy about it. And uh, as we know, she did remember. It took you know a little bit, but uh, she absolutely did recall, as did Barney, uh, what happened. But gosh, they came that close, Scott. Can you imagine? That close to having an actual alien artifact, which would have made this world, really, a much different place if that Betty and Barney Hill case had absolute physical proof of their encounter. Mm-hmm. So close. Ah, I just can't, you know, I, I, I keep going back to that one incident. I'm like, gosh, it would have been just so different. But there are other cases where people have been much more successful. Uh, the case of William Herman is a great example. Uh, William Herman lived in South Carolina near a military base and had been photographing what he thought were secret military test craft. Uh, well, he changed his theory when one of these objects dropped down, lifted him up in a beam of light, and took him inside, and there were gray type ETs, and he had a long, involved encounter. He was examined. They showed him the engine room. A lot of typical things that we've heard before and uh, had numerous encounters following this. And at some point he was in his trailer when the countertop sort of blazed up in light. This one area of his, of his trailer blazed up with bright white light and this metallic bar appeared, maybe three, four inches across, a couple of inches high. Shortly later, a gray type ET appeared and told him telepathically, that this is our gift of goodwill to you. And uh, floored him. He instantly contacted investigators, told him what happened, gave him the metal bar, which they examined, and uh, did end up going under chemical analysis to figure out what this metallic bar was. And unfortunately, it wasn't proven to be extraterrestrial in terms of being unknown metals. It was basically typical lead but still an interesting case um there's strange markings on it the word man is engraved on it there's little what look like stars or planets or something uh just a crazy interesting case and not the only one 
there's one just almost exactly like it occurred to another man in Texas. His case is not nearly as well known, but exactly the same type of thing. He was told, he was taken on board. Uh, the ET showed him this object, this metallic bar, and said, we're thinking of giving this to you as a gift of goodwill. He's like, oh, okay. And she says, if we do decide to give it to you, you'll, you'll find it somewhere. And one morning he woke up and there it was, right on his dresser. He recognized it instantly. Well, by coincidence, he was going to see his therapist on that morning, the Constance Clear, uh, the lady who specializes in abductions. Um, he was going to go see her, to go under hypnosis. And uh, he went to go visit her, and uh, this is when he was accosted by the men in black. Now, speaking of men in black, you don't have anybody there visiting, do you, that's just walking in with black clothes on, do you? <laughs> Not at this moment. I do have my nephew coming over to do some yard work. <laughs> but, uh, um, yeah, I mean, this is a typical case where, in a number of cases, these objects are stolen or taken away from the witnesses. So, and that's what happened in this case. Uh, Reinhold Smith was a fertilizer salesman, and he had a contact abduction out around Kearney, Nebraska. And uh, John Keel researched this case and said that what was interesting is that Reinhold Smith had samples of fertilizer in his trunk. Well, for a period of time afterwards, when there were UFO sightings or alleged landings people were finding at various parts in the country little piles of fertilizer that he believes came from Reinhold Smith's trunk. Now I'm going to stretch your chapter heading alien gifts just a little bit because one of the one of the things that is not so much a gift but maybe is a artifact would be the people that have the close encounter experience that come back with bioluminescence on their person that is detectable by a black light and or that have physical markings on their body some disappear very quickly some they've got to go through a healing process because they've actually been poked gouged or uh, cut so I, I know people from the Lincoln and Omaha area that over the years have had close encounters that had very strange things that came back, almost like they were uh, doodling on their inside of their, of their wrist. And you know how it is if you get a piece of paper and you're kind of bored, you kind of doodle and do different things? Mm-hmm. I had one young woman that actually had that series of triangles on her inner wrist, on her forearm, and um, claims, of course, that she or nobody else that she was aware did that. How could you wake up? Could you say, well, stigmata, you know, the Mm. psychological uh, belief somehow created these? Maybe in one case, but in a whole bunch of cases. So Maybe the alien gifts or some of those are actually brought back by the people in terms of marks on their on their body. 
Right. I mean, technically, you could expand that chapter to an entire book. I mean, because what about the implants? You know, yes. Are those gifts? Or what about healing cases? Or people who are given medicine? Number of cases of that as well, uh, which I didn't put in because I'm concentrating, mm-hmm. you know, on very specific type here. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, and also writing a book about healings right now, um, another one. But yeah, <laughs> there's all kinds of things, ways people are affected physically. Um, but these these gifts are really interesting because these are physical artifacts that people can hold in their hands, show to other people. And say, you know, you'll never guess where I got this. Uh, and uh, yeah, I mean, in some cases they're tested and shown to be, mm, appear to be normal. I mean, there's the Joe Simonton case where he actually got these pancakes um, from a UFO. And uh, they were tested by the Food and Drug Administration and shown to be normal buckwheat. Uh, but it's an absolutely legitimate case got witnesses to support his credibility, his character. Uh, and there's a number of really interesting cases like that. I mean, there was one of my favorite cases involves two teenagers from Ecuador who saw a landed UFO, started signaling it with their flashlight. And to their surprise, this thing actually lands. And they're, they go on board and they kind of have this conversation with these ETs. Uh, it's all very friendly. It's all benevolent. And uh, the encounter ends, and they exchange gifts. The ETs actually give these boys what looks like a you know, metallic cylinder. Um, it's a flashlight, is what it turns out to be. And uh, they, what's really interesting is they gave them their flashlight in return. So sort of a gift exchange there. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, no sooner, you know, they're... The UFO takes off, they're running home, and instantly they're surrounded by military jeeps and uh, military personnel, helicopters, just completely, a complete takedown, and uh, this object is taken from them. Again and again, this is what happens in these types of cases. Mm-hmm. This is Preston Dennett, and his gorgeous brand new book is called Nut From Here. Uh, I say gorgeous because his sister-in-law, Christine Kassara Dennett, has done the front cover artwork and the, all the art that starts each of the chapters in the book. Not from here, Selected UFO Articles, Volume 3. One of my favorite chapters, let's talk about after our bottom of the hour break, To Air is Alien. In other words, aliens are not perfect. Aliens are human, too? Sometimes they make mistakes. Wow. Who knew? And uh, some of those stories are just incredible. Again, another form of, of evidence of the situation. Preston, again, the time's flying by. I'm so much enjoying this. Awesome. Yeah. It's, I'm having a blast. Okay. Stay right there. We'll be right back. Preston Dennett, our good friend and colleague, Jim Shorney and Scott Colborn, we're drinking strong Jack Reacher coffee. Good stuff. And enjoying the conversation. Folks, it's great to know you're out there. Daddy can't sleep. Little Johnny can't sit still. Mama can't cope, so doctor, pass out the pills. When it comes to solving problems, we've got no imagination. 
Hi, dudes and dudettes. It's Carol Griswold from Women's Blues and Boogie on your community radio station, 89.3 FM, KZUM Lincoln and KZUM HD. Support for This Week in Lincoln comes from the Bay, the Bourbon Theater, Duffy's Tavern, and the Zoo Bar. This is live music happening this week in Lincoln. On Saturday, July 28th, Mama's Boy, Centerpiece, and Yellow After Rain play Duffy's Tavern at 7. Magnetic Souls start at 9 at the Zoo Bar. And the Bourbon Theater hosts Jason Boland and the Stragglers with Sack of Lions at 8. That's what's happening this week in Lincoln. KZUM's free summer concert series at Stransky Park only has two weeks left this summer. Join us this Thursday, August 2nd, for the live funk, soul, and R&B of Lincoln's Josh Hoyer and Soul Colossal, presented by Shirts 101. Bring a lawn chair or a blanket as we celebrate 15 years of free music at Stransky Park at 17th and Harrison this Thursday at 7 p.m. Brought to you with support from Dietz Music, Rabble Mill, the Lincoln Arts Council, Ogstums Printing, and Brian Health. Find out more at kzum.org. Support for KZUM comes from Rabble Mill, presenting Skate Art Music Anti-Gala on Saturday, April 25th at the Bay, featuring New Jersey rock trio Screaming Females, hip-hop with Ebony Tusks, and 10 Nebraska acts on two indoor and outdoor stages, plus prize-winning skate competition and beer garden. Proceeds support Rabble Mill's mission to end generational poverty one young person at a time. More at rabblemill.org. And from... Maha Music Festival on Friday and Saturday, August 17th and 18th at Omaha's Exarban Village. Now two days featuring Father John Misty, TV on the radio, ZZ Ward, U.S. Girls, and more. Plus a special performance by Omaha Girls Rock. Tickets and more at mahamusicfestival.com. The full moon lights the silver rails winding around dark mountains and over steep gorges of jagged rock in one freezing cold rushing Black Mountain River. I wish there was enough time to describe all of the funny twists and turns that led up to now, but there isn't enough time because there's a ticking clock and the two passengers we care most about don't know anything about it. To see what happens next, visit read.gov to read The Exquisite Corpse, a riveting adventure pieced together by John Sheska, Shannon Hale, Daniel Handler, and other popular authors. Explore new worlds. Read. Brought to you by the Library of Congress and the Ad Council. Far from the din of commercial culture and just this side of the abstract is a place I call Mesoterra. I'm Vic Valverde, your tour guide for an eclectic musical excursion on a program called Mesoterra. Saturdays, 12 noon until 1.30, right here on KZUM. Music from the band Enigma from their previous CD, Cobalt. I'm Scott Colborn. Next week's guest is Rasha, Oneness the Meditations, a journey to the heart of the divine lover. With us today is Preston Dennett, and we're celebrating his brand new book. It's called Not From Here, Selected UFO Articles, Volume 3. 
And let's talk about some of those stories. Some of them are quite humorous. To err is alien. Aliens make mistakes, huh? Yeah, I think they do. Um, well, it's hard to say exactly what's going on here. I still haven't quite figured it out. Is it a mistake or is it actually intentional? Right. I mean, are they leaving calling cards, little clues on purpose? I don't think so, but I'm really not sure. I mean, here's a typical case. October 16th, 1973, a large family in the Midwestern U.S. experiences what appears to be a mass abduction. The entire family is taken on board. Uh, nobody really has much memory of this except for the two youngest kids who insist that some sort of intruder came in last night. Mm-hmm. The, the wife, Patty Price, that's a pseudonym, wakes up to a, a real mystery because several of her kids are sleeping in the wrong beds. And some of these are pretty young kids. They wouldn't have just gotten up and you know, switched beds. It's just not something that's ever happened before. Mm-hmm. So she, this is the clue that kind of led them to figure out something happened here. Why, are, why is no one in the right place? And this is the pattern that turns up in a lot of cases. This is probably the most common, quote, alien mistake. Like another case, uh, August 26, 1975. This took place in North Dakota. It's one of the earlier abductions we have on record. It occurred to Sandra Larson, her daughter Jackie, and another gentleman. They're driving along at night through North Dakota see this object, it strikes them with a beam of light, they have a lot of confusion about time, and uh, the next thing they know, they're further along on the highway, and Jackie, who had been sitting in the front seat between uh, Sandra and Larry, is no longer sitting in the front seat. She's now sitting in the back seat. Whoa. And they're like, hmm, what happened here? Took them a few minutes to realize that she had even moved, and now that she's moved, they're like, well, how can this happen? Case after case like this. One case um, I personally investigated occurred to a gentleman who's driving through the Central Valley. And he's telling me, you know, I'm not going to go on a trip unless I get to drive. He's really obsessive about it. He does not want to be a passenger. Um, he doesn't feel safe in the passenger seat. He always wants to drive. And as they're driving along through the Central Valley, they see, you know, he's very interested in UFOs, has been for years, kind of an amateur investigator. And they see what looks like a helicopter hovering on the road ahead of them. And they're thinking, well, it's not a helicopter. There's all this mist around it. There's all these really bright colors. Um, And they start to get more and more nervous as they realize this is not conventional. This is apparently a UFO. And as they pull alongside this thing, they see, yeah, it is a UFO, and it's landing next to them on the highway. It's sending out a beam of light. This beam of light is kind of playing across the field and coming towards them, and bam, strikes them. Next thing they know, they're farther along on the highway, and he's no longer driving. He's now in the passenger seat, and his friend is driving. I mean, <laughs> this is insane. Did the aliens do this on purpose? Do they not remember who's driving? That sounds what like is a, going on here? That sounds like a prank to me. <laughs> I don't know. I don't think so. He was pretty upset. He ended up, you know, selling his house, quitting his job, moving to Hawaii, and preparing for the apocalypse. Of course, so it really affected him deeply. Uh, uh, certainly, you could say that 
the the alleged UFO crashes over the years, those are mistakes. I can't imagine anyone intentionally crashing their spacecraft into the into the planet, you know. Right. Well, here's another example. I'm sure that this happens more than we realize. This occurred to the Andrews family of England. Jason Andrews, their son, from a very early age, started having visitations in his bedroom. Lots of encounters, over and over again. Um, they had UFOs hovering over their house. Their neighbors were seeing them. Slowly, they came to realize that their son is having intense contact. But one evening, Ann Andrews wakes up to check on her son, and she hears somebody following her down the hallway. She becomes very nervous and sits down in the chair that's right there on the hallway in the landing and uh, waits for this whoever it is to approach. And he does, and she tur turns around and looks at this person, and it's someone she does not know. It's a man. She does not recognize him. It's a complete stranger. He's nude. He's got no clothes on. He's soaking wet. His eyes are wide as you know, saucers. Um, he's terrified, and she's just overcome with emotion and reaches out and grabs his hands and is trying to figure out who this man is in her house in the middle of the night. And that's when she has missing time. And she now speculates, as do the researchers of her case, that this gentleman was an abductee who had been returned to the wrong house. Mm -hmm. there, there are other cases like this. People are returned and they're not returned to their bedroom. They're returned outside their house and can't get back inside because all the doors are locked. Yeah, so the doors are the doors are locked and dead bolted from the inside, and they're outside. Right. Uh, it's impossible. The support group that I co-founded in Lincoln in 1988, we had people reporting that they were um, taken and then brought back, and they would come to consciousness, and they're lying um, 180 degrees different in their bed. And it's right. never happened to them. They wake up and they're in a different part of the house. Uh, and they are not sleepwalkers. How did they, how did they get there? How did they, how did they do that? Um, right. This, this happened to Jason Andrews. They kept finding him as a baby, not in his crib, in other places around the house. Uh -huh. Back then, they didn't realize what was going on, but they do now. Finding uh, sand or twigs in your bed as if you've been up and around someplace that's sandy and got debris. And where is that coming from? You know, you go to bed with your legs and, and feet clean and your sheets are clean, and then you wake up in the morning and there's a bunch of sand on your sheets and still stuck to your legs and feet. Where'd that come from? Right, and I have to think this is a mistake because the ETs go through such great lengths to you know, erase people's memories to make sure there are no outside witnesses and to sort of let this event remain hidden. And yet they leave these really blatant clues. And I just can't imagine they're doing this on purpose. I don't know. I mean, look what happened to Stan Romanek, um, you know, a businessman from Colorado, you know, somewhat controversial figure in the field. I believe his case is genuine. I've spoken with him. Yeah, I do too. And uh, he had a really interesting, you know, incidents where he was returned outside 
couldn't get back inside, this sort of thing. Um, but there's a number of cases where people are returning the wrong clothes. You know, they go to bed wearing their pajamas, and they wake up and they're not in their pajamas anymore. And this is what happened to him. He went to bed wearing a T-shirt that said, I've been abducted by aliens, and all I got was this lousy T-shirt. It was a gag gift that he had been given and didn't want to really wear in public, so he used it as a night shirt. Yeah. Right? I can see that. So he wakes up one morning, and he's feeling pretty uncomfortable, goes to the bathroom and gets the shock of his life. He's not wearing his alien abduction shirt anymore. He's wearing a woman's nightie, and it's way too tight. So, I mean, come on. Are you telling me the ETs didn't recognize what they're doing here and just dressed him up in women's clothes? Really? Yeah, and he asks, he asks his wife, does this come from your wardrobe? Is this something that you... And she said, no, my God, no, that's not, that's not mine. Wow. So can you imagine there's some, you know, lady presumably out there who wakes up, she's abducted, and she wakes up and she's wearing this T-shirt. I've just been abducted by aliens. And all I got was <laughs> oh, this lovely geez. T-shirt. <laughs> that's a bad joke, isn't it? Oh, my goodness. <laughs> now that sounds but like it a apparently prank. really happens. I mean, this happens. Wow. And it's not unusual. All the UFO researchers are well aware of this phenomenon. And they've got different theories. Some think that they're calling cards, you know, little clues that are left on purpose. Mm -hmm. um, others say, no, they're probably mistakes. We don't know. We honestly don't know what's going on here. But I'm leaning towards the mistake theory just because ETs are so, you know, insistent that people don't remember their experiences. Mm -hmm. And yet they leave these clues. Yeah, you mentioned Betty and Barney Hill. Um, Barney was a meticulous dresser. And one of the things that bugged him that he was not able to immediately um, figure out was why the tops of his shoes the next day were all scuffed up. They certainly weren't scuffed up the night before. He always took really good care of his shoes. It was as if somebody had drug him on concrete and his shoes were dragging with the toes and the top of the shoe being down on the concrete and getting all scoffed up. Lo and behold, right. that's, that's pretty much what happened during his experience. Exactly, so, that's exactly what he remembered. Yep. Th they're really, the, these, uh, these ETs, this intelligence is really good most of the time, but there are little things where they kind of like make mistakes or go, uh-oh, that was a boo-boo. Should we go back and correct that now? Let's just hope nobody sees that. <laughs> what do they think? We're stupid? I mean, honest to God, I mean, they, I've had cases where people are returned and their clothes are on backwards. Uh-huh. Or they're wearing completely different clothes. Or they're buttoned wrong. Or unbuttoned. Or ripped, even. Or stained. It just goes on and on. We've got uh, a whole bunch of chapters that we can't cover today. Um, there, uh, can we contact UFOs with a Ouija board? UFOs over prisons. Is Jesus an alien? Is Bigfoot an alien? The truth behind alien anal probes. And if you build it, people have been told to actually build things. Um, I'd like to close with maybe um, just a couple minutes of conversation about 
Bigfoot and aliens. Now, I just went to a really excellent conference last February in Hastings, Nebraska, the second annual Nebraska Bigfoot Conference. Really excellent speakers. And to a person, all those Bigfoot experts I talked to did not want to associate Bigfoot with UFOs. They wanted to study Bigfoot totally separately. Um, they recognized there may be some reports there, but they, uh, they were more interested in the physical creature of Bigfoot. But your, your book reminded me that there are many reports of UFOs and Bigfoot. They do seem to be linked at times. Right. You'll find that most UFO researchers don't want to do this either. <laughs> they don't want to study Bigfoot. Um, I know I didn't. But uh, again, you can't, you're not going to solve any mysteries if you decide to ignore the evidence. And there is a small number of cases. I'm going to say it's less than 5% for sure. Probably closer to, gosh, 1%, maybe a half percent in terms of the total number of cases, I mean. Uh, where these two phenomena intersect exactly. I mean, to the point where people see a landed UFO and then they see a Bigfoot literally at the same time. So it's not like, hmm, could be a coincidence. No, I mean, there's just too many cases like this where they're seen at precisely the same time in the same area. Uh, a lot of, I mean, Don Worley, a really pioneering investigator, um, he uncovered a number of cases like this early on. There's a number of cases like this in Pennsylvania, which is a huge Bigfoot area. Mm -hmm. uh, I've got several cases myself. I know other researchers who have. Um, it's bizarre. I mean, in some cases, Bigfoot are seen outside you know, a UFO in the area where it's landed. But there's a few cases where Bigfoot are seen inside UFOs. <laughs> I mean, there was a case in Wisconsin um, involving a gentleman who saw a UFO hovering over the road. He looks up inside of it. And it's a big, hairy Bigfoot inside piloting this thing. Another case in Colorado where a gentleman came upon a landed UFO. There were sort of humanoid aliens around. Um, he talked with them. And next to them was a Bigfoot, a typical Bigfoot. They appeared to be ordering it around. And it was really interesting because at that time, you know, he lived on a ranch in Colorado. He was having a lot of Bigfoot encounters and cattle mutilations as well. So all of this sort of wrapped up together um, in this weird, puzzling phenomena. Um, I'm still not sure what to make of it. Is Bigfoot an alien? <sighs> possibly. Possibly some of them are. I mean, we can't ignore that possibility. Mm -hmm. I don't think that's the case. I'm thinking maybe they're being abducted as well, just like us. Um, you know, Bigfoot accounts do involve telepathy, a number of them. And this is certainly universal when it comes to UFOs and aliens. So maybe there's a connection there. I don't know. I mean, it's hard to say, but sure is bizarre. Preston, it's just always a joy to talk with you. You're one of our favorites. And uh, I'm so excited for you and your literary career that you're producing these books that are being uh, read and respected by people. I hope that uh, this brand new one, Nut From Here, Selected UFO Articles, Volume 3, I hope it gets read by a whole bunch of folks. Hey, thanks 
Scott. I appreciate that. Yeah, and I'm thrilled to be on your show as always. I love talking to you guys. You're my favorite out there. And uh, yeah, it's been a, a, quite a journey. We've been doing this for years and years and years. And I hope years in the future as well. And what are you doing, my friend, for the rest of the weekend? Oh, going to get some cleaning done. Going to do some yard work. Going to try and publicize this book a little bit more. Um, do some important sitting around. We're still going through this massive heat wave, and it's just sucking my energy out. Oh, my Got to be 100 degrees out. Oh, geez. And uh, I don't have air conditioning. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, I feel for so you, I buddy. I'm going to go get one. <laughs> oh, my goodness. How do, you, how do you tough it out? Yeah, you got to get air. Yeah. Yeah, I've got, I take showers. I go outside. I you know, can't go outside. It's, you know, it's got to be 118 mm-hmm. degrees. A couple, you know, last week, the week before, somebody actually died in the heat. My goodness. So, uh, I hope you get some relief thanks. from that. Yeah, I'm a wimp. i got to have air conditioning. Yeah, as am I. Okay, Preston, I'm thank okay. you. Thank you so much, and uh, continued best wishes from us to you. Thanks, Scott. Thanks, guys. I really appreciate it. Preston Dennett, uh, he will pop up in any search engine. His full website is PrestonDennett.Weebly.com, or just type in Preston Dennett. We've talked to him about his brand new book, Not From Here, Selected UFO Articles, Volume 3. Jim Shorney, what are you doing for the rest of the weekend? Uh, well, for starters, I'm going to go home and fire up the shortwave and see if I can make ham radio contact with Tanner and some of my other parks on the air buddies. So that's that's going to be fun. I'm going to go have lunch and then play uh, play some guitar. Sounds good. Folks, thanks so much for listening. And uh, if you're expecting to have Victor coming up next, Victor's voice will have changed a little bit. <laughs> but uh, I think you're going to have a great program. My friend Kate is here Woo-hoo! with Mesoterra, and she's coming up right after this. Thanks again for listening, and until next week, Scott Colborn and Jim Shorty, Walk in Beauty. <laughs>